Hi there, I'm Trudy Lico, and you're listening to Mama's Kitchen, the series that explores what's life really like for women and girls in regional Australia. So pop the kettle on, put your feet up, and join me as I share a cuppa with some pretty amazing women. Today I'm chatting with Tina McPherson and Callie Buchanan to find out, is regional Australia really where careers go to die? Tina McPherson left the city behind for a life less ordinary. She has governessed in the outback, ridden a bicycle around the world, been a dairy farmer in New Zealand, lived and worked on tropical islands, run a feedlot in Indonesia, and in more recent years, built a successful strawberry farm with her husband in the rich red soil outside of Bundaberg. Callie Buchanan grew up in the country, but her childhood was less than idyllic. With her family in and out of work and struggling to pay the bills, school was a refuge for Callie. Jumping at every educational opportunity that came her way, Callie excelled, and today she works in the media as a rural reporter for the ABC. Tina, you grew up in the city. How unusual was it for a girl in your high school to want to be a farmer? I guess it was probably fairly unusual because I didn't know any other girls who wanted to be a farmer. Did you think it was a realistic goal to one day be a landholder? No, no. I think I probably grew up thinking that the only way to do that would be by marriage, frankly. <laughs> why, why was it such an, an unrealistic idea in your head? I th- I, you know, if I go back and I try and actually um, analyse that, I didn't see any pathway into to land ownership or into farm ownership and I only knew people who had been born into the land. And we, you know, clearly we were not, um, it wasn't something that was on the career paths. I mean, career, career advisors were relatively new in the early 80s anyway, so it was fairly structured professions. You know, you could be a lawyer, a teacher, a nurse, a doctor... And so I guess our career advisors thought they were on the cutting edge, but farming and and rural careers were not included in that. Kelly, you did grow up in the country. How tough did your family do it? Well, it's interesting that Tina should say she only knew people who'd been born into into land ownership. And I think that uh, I saw that as well. And we didn't have a farm. We were townies. Um, And for most of my life, my dad was out of work. So... Uh, dad and mum split up when I was about six. We stayed with dad, which was unusual in the early 80s. But yeah, I was a, effectively a, a, a welfare family in a town that at the time I was told had more millionaires per square kilometre than anywhere else in Australia. And they were all landholders. Their kids all went off to Scots College and and we were, you know, I didn't eat breakfast every morning. So it was it was tough to sort of, particularly in a really small cohort, 30 maybe 30 kids in your class, to know that you were at the bottom of the rung. How important was school to you? Well, that was the only way out. There was no one coming to rescue me from that circumstance. I had the option of living in the same cycle that I was already in or finding a way out. And I was good at school. It came naturally. Um, in the early stages, I didn't have to work for it. So it seemed like all the good things that happened, all the opportunities I had came through the things I did at school. So, And also a lot of that came through reading as well. So reading was a natural outlet too because it was a world I could disappear into on my own and that 
carried over into my studies. Being a good reader made me better at school and, and so it sort of felt natural that I would embrace it the way I did. Is the country where you saw your future? Never, no. Um, I could not wait to get out of that little town. Uh, my best friend and I both were very determined to leave town and I mean I think now having spent more time in regional and actually not had a career in a city at all uh, it's a little heartbreaking to talk about it that way because it is a beautiful little town Uh, but it was such a small community 750 people my family had been there Uh, my dad had moved there my mum I think my mum my grandparents had moved there as well so we weren't you know fifth generation in the town or anything like that but we had a long long enough history there for me to feel uh, like people had judged me before I was born and were going to continue doing that. So I wanted to to get out and be my own person, work out who I was. So no, I never I never thought that I'd be in a in a country town for life. Tina, originally as a city girl, why did the land or or the agricultural industry hold such appeal for you? Do you think? I think, uh, like Callie, there's there's a lot of parallels without there being a, a whole lot of similarities. But um, my refuge was reading as well. And my preferred reading was always Australian literature and old Australian literature. So, and it was always, it was always bush-based. So, I, maybe that's where my romantic ideal of of living on the land came from. But clearly, I also had a passion for it as well. I mean, you can read about something but not want to live in it. So it would be fair to say that that probably that's where that idea came from. But I suspect that uh, a lot of what Callie was just talking about, being not being defined by, by her town and where she was, a lot of teenagers' experience anyway, because I was determined to break free of what I saw as what was binding me. And that was, that was being defined by where I grew up, where I went to school, who my family were and what the expectations of me were. Kelly, when did you know that you wanted to work in the media? Um, that actually took a little while. I I had this weird, as much as I was dedicated to, to study and the number one thing I wanted to do was go to university uh, and I wasn't super fussed about what I did there and, and being good at school I had a lot of options which was kind of difficult because I had to then settle on things. At first I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, then I studied psychology and then I did business like I was really sketching around for something that I thought I could do that would give me some sense of income and stability because they were the things that I'd lacked as a, as a child and so those were the things I was really hunting for and I sort of settled on I used to get really frustrated with people who um, had lots of opinions about the circumstance of their life and but were completely sort of ignorant to how those circumstances arose. And some of that I felt was people who sort of hadn't ever had an opportunity to engage with the news. And at the time there was Good Newsweek was a TV show that was on that I always thought was very clever because it was funny. You didn't realise you were getting an education. Like I learned about the refugee crisis and children overboard on Good Newsweek. And so I sort of thought, well, that's a, a really unique way to sort of accidentally engage people in their in the things that were happening around them. And I was always sort of interested in in your role and your responsibility as a citizen. I don't know where that came from. So I originally kind of wanted to go off and learn a bit more about the news to see if there was a way I could bring it to more people. And about uh, two weeks into my journalism degree, I realised I'd found my calling and in my heart I've not done anything else. Like it took a while to become a journalist and 
finish the degree and then get a job, which is always the hardest part in the media. The irony being that it's not a particularly well-paying or stable career. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, I might have uh, subtly sabotaged myself a little maybe. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, like once I was in it, I was like, it's just I, I can't imagine doing anything else. I still can't imagine doing anything else. And Kelly, did you seek out regional places to work in or is that where the opportunities lay? It's a bit about the opportunities, but I, I did my degree in Canberra um, and I had the, the the genuine privilege of working in the press gallery while I was at uni. So while I was at uni, I worked full-time. I went to uni full-time, I worked full-time, I owned a house and I was working in the press gallery at Parliament House, which was where I thought my career would be. Like that to me was the dream gig, right in the heart of where decisions are made every day that matter to people whether they realise it or not. And I shared an office with the then rural press agri-politics reporter, uh, Michael Thompson, and he, he said to me once, never forget that none of the people in this building are real people. Between the hacks and the flax, nobody here has any idea what real life is like. Uh, if you want a real story, you need to go out, lean over somebody's fence and ask them how they're doing. And because I had access to him and because it was probably undervalued in the uh, university newsroom, I took up the rural round for the university newspaper because I figured I could draw on Michael's resources. Nobody else wanted it. And that was right at the time that the AWB wheat scandal was happening. There was a truckies convoy came to Canberra to complain about fuel prices and they brought their tractors right up to Parliament House. It, it was a really interesting round and I didn't know it then, but I'd started something that was going to be truly sort of rewarding. Tina, what opportunities have you had because you've worked regionally? I think that opportunities present themselves far more readily when you work regionally. When when you're in a small community, you have access to the whole breadth of the community. And so you're working at, 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 I don't like to say the bottom and the top, but, you you know, you're working at all levels of society. So you have access to the top levels as well as to the bottom levels. So, uh, you know, in response to what Callie was saying, you are talking to the people over the fence, but you're also talking to the decision makers. You have have easier access to people who are apparently making the decisions um, on your behalf. And, And then you can become those people should you choose to be. And... And I think those opportunities are far greater in a smaller community. You can have a lot more impact more quickly. Kelly, you now work for an organisation that has its head offices in the city. Do you think you're missing out on opportunities by not being in the thick of it? Um, no, no and yes. Some opportunities definitely uh, in terms of the kinds of programs I can work on, where my content can go, the kinds of audiences I can reach. I'm never going to be on ABC News 24 because it's filmed it mostly in Melbourne and so I'm never going to show up on News Breakfast. I'm, I you know, can't be on the drum. Like those things, they happen in the, the big cities. But the kind of content I do and the, the way my stories are told, I have different opportunities. So I've been able to travel overseas, which, you know, for work, which only really our foreign correspondents do regularly or our specialist reporters. You don't get that opportunity. I just spent two months in Ultimo in Sydney, which is our headquarters, and there were so many people. And the newsroom floor, I mean, there were, for most of my career, I've worked with eight other people. The newsroom floor, there were so many people, and, like, I just couldn't work out how they could 
know each other and value each other's content and collaborate and and so many people doing sort of streamlined jobs whereas sort of similar to what Tina was saying in country towns you have to do it all you can't specialize in one thing I got into the ABC as a radio reporter and now I've done digital I do social media I can do tv there's not a a delivery mechanism of news that I can't operate whereas I can find people who've been in the business for 30 and 40 years who don't have the skills that I have because they've never had to so I think you get a chance to stick your head up a bit more from a region but you have to be prepared to do it yourself Kelly you met and married a fellow journalist how hard has it been for the two of you to find work in the media in the same town. Yeah, I, ha- I keep asking him to become my financial advisor or something that we could do anywhere, but he won't do it. Um, yeah, it has been hard, uh, particularly because we both work. We work. We met at work and we still work together and we've always worked together. And the kind of work we do, radio, it's not a, it's not a particularly well-staffed, occupation part of the reason I like it is because it's so low tech you don't need a lot of people to do it so working with the same organization working in the same towns part of the reason I think we've had such longevity um, where we are is because we did get that full-time secure work when I first got my first full-time job here uh, he was still in Victoria we've moved the first five years of our marriage we were apart for three years three of those years we've moved Uh, at least four, maybe five times from New South Wales to Victoria to Queensland, back to New South Wales, back to Queensland. That's all cost money, which put us back in terms of being able to afford to buy our own house and move our sort of domestic lives forward as well. And the jobs we've, we've sort of just, oh, I've had four different jobs in the one office, effectively. He applied for 17 or 18 jobs before he went permanent. So, yeah, it, that was a fight. But thankfully, we were, able to, we were able to support each other because we're in the same field and we both have the same different but similar passions for what we do. So we, could, we knew what we were in for, I think, and we could support each other in those times when we were out of work, when one of us was out of work and wouldn't consider doing anything else. When you understand that passion, it's, I think, much easier to support that other person uh, I think if, if he'd been a teacher and I'd been a journalist and um, refusing to do anything other than be a journalist for terrible money and terrible hours and he didn't understand the passion for it, I think it would have been a lot harder. We've been married nearly eight years and I think it's really the last two years where we've started to feel like we're moving forward in the way we wanted to. Tina, in some of the regional-based work that you've done, so for instance running a feedlot in Indonesia, how many new things have you been able to learn by having less people on the ground to do them? Out of necessity, loads, <laughs> um, quite frankly. You're using Indonesia as, a, as an example and obviously uh, resources were limited and and you had to step up and be able to do anything. So in Indonesia, I was running a calf rearing operation. Bruce was running a dairy feedlot. I was writing standard operating procedures, n- something maybe my, my degree in literature might have... <laughs> least I could write <laughs> um, but you know I guess I was as an operations manager so so writing standard operating procedures I, I got good at that um, and and in a bigger organization or somewhere else where there were more resources 
probably somebody else would have been brought in to do that. So I think it, in when you're working remotely um, or regionally, you do have to pull on all of the resources and pull out all of your talents and throw them into something. So you become... You become very flexible and very, very talented at a lot of... And, and maybe, you know, jack of all trades, master of none perhaps springs to mind. I'd like to think that maybe we'd mastered one or two talents in that time. To stay living and working in the regions, if that's something that you want to do, how do you make sure your career doesn't stagnate, Kelly? I take up every opportunity I can when it comes my way and I make it work. So things like doing project work being able to find excuses to travel. I enter a lot of media awards. Some of that is to get that recognition because you are, you know, in an organisation of 4,500 people. You want the people who are deciding whether or not to fund your station to know who you are. That's always helpful and those kinds of things help do that. But they also give you opportunities. Um, So that was how I was able to travel to South Africa. I've also, I've gotten involved in in organisations that, like their industry organisation. So I sit on the committee of the Rural Press Club for Queensland and through that role I sit on the committee for the Australian Council of Agricultural Journalists which exposes me to a national network of reporters who work in the same genre as I do. So I do those things because as much as I I love being self-contained and resourceful and resilient, journalism, uh, well, lots of careers I guess, but journalism in particular really benefits from new ideas. And so... I 